The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and wonderful to be back with you again for uh, yet another week on the Business Elevation Show. And I'm delighted today that um, I'm going to be talking with Dov Barron. Uh, about uh, Fiercely Loyal. But before I do that, I just want to say a thank you to my guest last week, David Gaffney. Uh, I thought he was excellent. Uh, we were talking about uh, becoming a change champion. And, uh, you know, it got me thinking this week. I've been working with uh, clients in, uh, in various places, and, and including London this week. And I really thought about uh, one of the aspects that David talked about that was important with any um, change project is there are some elements that have to be non-negotiable, like like um, each of the leaders keeping their commitments without having to be checked in, being proactive in their honesty, uh, and also not talking behind people's backs. Straight-line communication is is, is essential. Um, So I would recommend you go and listen to that show if change is something that's important to you. So today's show, I've got to be honest, I've been really excited about the uh, opportunity to interview my guest today. Um, I met him a number of weeks ago and I, I did a little bit of an interview, an interview with him on his show and I thought this is a really fascinating uh, individual. Um, one of the areas that he is an expert on is, is keeping your top, your top talent. Now, according to Dov Barron, finding and keeping extraordinary talent uh, determines which organizations thrive and which fade. Don't believe it, then consider that the average company spends one and a half to two times the annual salary of an employee in training and development. Meanwhile, the average employee is only looking at two and a half years with you before walking off and that investment is is lost and your competitor is benefiting from it. So we're going to talk about how to keep your talent and how to have them become fiercely loyal. Now, Dov Barron, he's a leadership catalyst. He's named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hire. He's a leading authority on authentic leadership. He's the founder of Full Monty Leadership. He works internationally with leaders and leadership teams. I'm excited he just said to me he might be coming to the UK soon, maybe have an opportunity to to meet. He's a multi-best-selling author. His latest book, Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent, is five-star reviewed by experts in the field. And I've been through that book, and I think it's fantastic. He writes for many industry magazines, CEO magazine, entrepreneur magazine, his radio show and podcast, The Full Monty Leadership Show, and Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives have had over one and a half million downloads, and it's the number one podcast for Fortune 500 executives. Uh, Top performance individuals hire him, corporations, companies, and I think you'll find it's got a very uh, direct, contagious approach. But when we spoke this morning, he shared something with me which 
really took me by surprise that Dov's house has just burnt down, believe it or not. Um, yet he's, he's here this morning. So, uh, Dov, a, a big welcome to you, Dov. Um, I hope, uh, hope things are okay at the moment for you, considering. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, yes, I'm alive. My wife is alive. We didn't get burned in the fire, so everything is good. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, you know when you, you know when you're into your sort of self development like you are, you know these are the moments aren't they, which are, are the true tests. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think you know it's one of the interesting things about life is that I think that we're all faced with challenges, and you know the saying is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But you know, for a lot of people, what doesn't kill them doesn't necessarily make them stronger. It just makes them embed themselves and say okay, this is it, this is all there is. And I think you've got to decide that something is fuel. It's like, so, you know, the, it was devastating, it was very impactful for us, but the next day my wife and I said, okay, this is a fresh slate, this is a clean slate, so now what? What are we going to design? What are we, how are we going to be? How are we going to live our lives? So it's everything that is, what I know in my own life, and you probably know this as a listener yourself, everything in your life that is crap in the moment of happening it, when you look back, is a blessing. Every curse is a blessing. Every blessing is a curse. And a lot of it depends on what you do with what, what shows up. Yeah. And a new friend of mine, uh, somebody I spent a bit of time with this week, uh, uh, Sarah said to me that, uh, she said, do you know what you get from snakes? You get anti-venom. And, you know, uh, snakes, not, ne not necessarily a good thing, but, it, you know, there's something that comes out of those negative experiences, isn't there? Absolutely. Uh, that you take away. So what, just kind of intrigued, we're going to talk about fierce loyalty, but have you, have you learned anything about fierce loyalty from the experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, again, we can learn just, you know, one of, one of my statements is you, you, can, you can learn as much from the devil, as, as much from a devil as you can from an angel. And that, what that means is that um, sometimes it is the negative things that teach you um, about something positive. So fierce loyalty, fascinating thing about it was that very often the people that, you know, when things like this happen, you figure certain people will be around, and certainly many of them were, but so many people came out of the woodwork, people whose lives I touched in some way, shape, or form, and to be honest with you, people who I had not, would never have thought of, reached out, wanted to be helpful, uh, kind, caring, compassionate, it's amazing. What I really learned is that the people whose lives I touched, the people who had I given something to, were definitely going to be there for me. And I thought that was, that's a phenomenal illustration of the very thing that I teach around loyalty. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, sometimes uh, you, uh, I, you know, I sort of believe you, you learn the most when you're on your knees sometimes in those, those moments. And uh, it, it's, it's amazing. I think you must, uh, I think in all those books you've written, there's probably another one here now, Dov. Yeah. <laughs> one, one of my quotes is that when, when you, when, um, it's not my own, it's not original, but um, is that um, in that moment when you feel the earth shake underneath your feet and you're, uh, and you're praying to God or whatever you like to call that force um, for solidarity, it's, if you stop and center yourself and pay attention, you'll realize that it's God who's shaking the earth under your feet. Yeah. So sometimes these things are a great blessing. Yeah. So I'd like to just, there's another, you know, in incredible a story about your life because mm -hmm. um, you know I you you're clearly um, you know a very handsome fella today um, <laughs> but you had That's a debatable okay 
But you had a rock climbing accident, and uh, you experienced what sounded just like horrendous facial injuries. Um, but again, in that situation, you said you saw some beauty and elegance in it. Do you want to just share a little bit about what happened? Uh, sure. Thank you for asking. Um, for those of you who don't know, in June 1990, I was free climbing. Back in those days, I was a total adrenaline junkie, um, and I was always doing things that were sort of right on the edge. And in June 1990, I was having all kinds of success. I was traveling and spoken in every major city of Australia, um, lots in the U.S., Canada. Uh, you know, I, I, I was having newspaper, radio, uh, TV. I was on all kinds of things. It was great. And I was pretty exhausted, took this little break, went up to a place called just by Whistler in British Columbia, for those of you who remember the Winter Olympics were here. And... Uh, climbed behind this waterfall and decided to come back, not by trekking the way we'd gone down, but by free climbing up the cliff. Now, you should note that I did not have any gear with me, even for free climbing. Free climbing, by the way, means climbing without ropes. Hmm. And uh, at about what would be approximately 12 stories, 120 feet, I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock, hit me in the face oh. and sent me hurtling down and smashed me on the bottom on boulders, not on little rocks or even gravel or grass, but actual boulders that smashed my face wide open. My jaw was broken, my bottom jaw was broken into four separate pieces. My upper jaw was split in two. Both cheekbones were collapsed. My nose was collapsed. One of my eye sockets was dropped and the roof of my mouth was split in two. Um, it was pretty horrendous uh, to say the least. And as you can imagine, the recovery was long and brutal. I've had somewhere in the range of, actually I've lost count, but at least 10 reconstructive surgeries. And being that adrenaline guy, being, you know, you've got to remember, I'm, I was from Salford. You know, I was born in Salford, which is, for those of you who don't know, is a ghetto. Uh, actually, I was born in Broughton, which is a ghetto inside of a ghetto of Salford, in, which is part of Manchester. Mm. You know, I grew up tough. I, I grew up knowing I had to be tough. I was a leader. I was out there. I was an adrenaline guy. I wasn't going to let this stuff get me down. And so I actually went into full-blown denial. Absolutely, this, you know, this is not going to beat me. And I was in denial. It wasn't positive attitude. It was denial. And at about nine months in, interesting point in time, because it was kind of a gestation period, I found myself on the floor of my living room in the fetal position, completely incapacitated, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, in every possible way, and realized I, was, it was, I couldn't deny it anymore. And in that moment, realized there were three paths in front of me. The one that I'd been trying to go down, which was the path back. I wanted, because I kept saying, I'm going to get back, I'm going to get back. There is no back. Once Humpty Dumpty's broken, you don't get to put them back together again. There's only forward. The other path in front of me was the most seductive of all the paths. And that was the path of status quo. Just accept this is your lot in life, mate. All the rest is dreams of grandeur. Forget about it. And that was very tempting because it meant I could be a victim and it meant I could just sit back and, and just do something. But, you know, always have this story to give me the reasons why. And the third path, of course, was to get up, admit that I was destroyed and start again. And it was at that moment that I began to really understand something I'd been teaching for years, but understand at a much deeper level, which is what is authenticity? What does it really mean to be authentic? And it took me back to that truth of authenticity. 
And it was, without a doubt, the worst thing that ever happened to me up until that time. And since that time, it is, without doubt, the very best thing that happened to me because it transformed me. Mm. And how did, how, did you, how did you cope with the, the physical transformation as well? Because I, 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 may, be, I may be just uh, guessing here, but I can imagine you, you possibly don't look now how you might have looked uh, at this age if you hadn't had an accident. <laughs> how do you deal with that? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, you have that throwback Thursday thing on social media. And uh, every now and then I, I dig around and find an old picture of me. And, and invariably people go, is that really you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, including me. It's like, really? Did I really look like that? Um, of course, this, you know, this is the only face I've got now. And I've had it for, for, for 25 years. But I, back then, uh, I mean, my face was softer. It wasn't as, as sort of heavily masculine as it is now. Um, it, it has changed. As my mom said, I'd lost, lost my, my prettiness. Um, it's definitely a harder looking face. Um, my upper lip is sewn to my gum line. So it's very difficult for me to smile using all of my upper lip. So, you know, occasionally people will say, you know, you, you know, don't know me, pissed off. I'm like, nope. <laughs> it's just like my smile doesn't work in my upper teeth. <laughs> you know, it doesn't show my upper teeth. You know, so there's things that are very different. Um, but it's my face. It, I, I, don't, I, I can't really remember having another face. I just know that uh, about five months after I fell and it had reconstructive surgeries enough that I looked reasonably normal to people who didn't know me. But the people who knew me, I looked very different. People would go, wow, I didn't recognize you. Hey, well, well, well my, uh, my immediate reaction, and uh, you're not my type, I'm very happy you married. It was that you're <laughs> a handsome fellow when I saw you. So, Thanks, mate. So, uh, so uh, you're, not, you're not done too badly, mate. No, uh, I was on Sally, Jesse, Raphael. Do you remember that show? Yeah. I was on that show as, as a guest expert. And on that show, I, I, uh, they were asking me about it, and I said... Uh, I said, am I pretty yet? <laughs> 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 and so they, they did a pretty good job of putting me back together. <laughs> they did, yeah, they did. Um, so th this, you, you talk about this um, idea of authenticity uh, oh. became you know, something that you really thought about in, in those moments. And, and uh, you know, I guess loyalty was probably also tested as well, those people who, you know, had to around you or dealing with that change was was that also yeah. inspired by that experience yeah i think my interest in loyalty began far earlier as as uh, you and i have talked about before chris um i have a, a huge background in in the studies of quantum physics metaphysics and psychology from, from being a kid and that that interest was not was generated fairly naturally because as a kid as i explained where i grew up um and i was surrounded by uh, in a very poor environment, I saw lots of things firsthand, including spousal abuse and, and violence and things that, that are not very particularly pleasant. And I became actually very fascinated at an early age with the psychology of what made people stay with uh, partners and situations that were miserable. I mean, they constantly complained about it. They were miserable, yet they stayed. That, for me, was fascinating. That was where the sort of catalyst, the the seeds of this, why do people do what, what doesn't work over and over again? And why do they stay loyal to 
a situation or to a person that is actually destructive? What is the what is it that creates that bond? That became that was really the catalyst for me understanding loyalty. If I can give you a, a simple example of that, uh, if I may, sure. which is you, know, you live in the UK, you're down the pub, and you're talking to one of your mates, and your mate says that his brother is an a-hole, you know, and he's talking about his brother, and now his brother's done this, that, the other thing, and immediately you chip in and say something about that brother. The guy you're talking to says, don't you talk about my family like that. Mm. <laughs> right? So we're very protective of the things that we're bonded to, even if the things we're bonded to are unhealthy and dysfunctional. And that doesn't matter whether it's family, whether it's a belief system, or whether it's friends, or whether it's a career. So how do you create that bond that will make people fiercely loyal, even evangelically loyal, for me, has always been a fascinating subject. Yeah, no, I can really, uh, really see the, uh, get why you'd be fascinated in that, because it is, it is amazing, isn't it, how, uh-huh. how some people, yeah, as you say, the abusive situations and the like, or you know, abusive bosses even, how some people will stick it out through thick and thin. Some... And they have, they have justification. This is what's fascinating, you see. There's, there's an emo- what we call an emotional logic to it. So they have this, this justification, this emotional logic that says, well, I'm here because. And sometimes it's as simple as better the devil you know. You know, they use that kind of language. Yeah. But the truth is that these things are massively dangerous, but also very powerful if you know how to tap into them in a healthy way to use them to create loyalty with your own team. To put mm-hmm. your team so fiercely low to you that they will be evangelical about going out and bringing top people to you. Wonderful. Hey, well, that, that sounds like a perfect um, place to have a commercial break right now. And, and after the break, we can start to look at, you know, some of those kind of characteristics and some of those oh. factors that really, really do enjoy engender great loyalty. Um, so we're going to be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Um, do uh, continue to join us, and uh, I'm sure there'll be um, so much more. Uh, incredible wisdom from Dov to follow. So we'll be back with you again in two minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. It comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Dov Barron. If you want to find out more information about these shows and what's coming up, my take on them, and uh, you know things that are kind of really relevant to um, to the to the day and to helping you elevate your business, then do subscribe to my uh, communication at chris at chriscooper.co.uk, and I'll keep you uh, updated. So we're with Dov Barron. We're talking about fierce loyalty, and you know, I wonder, Dov, actually, how how do you really define in a business setting that fierce Fierce loyalty. How would you define it? Uh, the definition of it is very simple: is that your people will stay with you longer than they normally would stay, and that they that they are highly engaged while they're with you. As you spoke about earlier in the intro, uh, the problem is that millennials, like when you and I entered the workforce, look, when I say you and I, meaning anybody who's a uh, Gen Xer or baby boomer, when we entered the workforce, we were asked, "What do you want to do?" It was a career question. It was a twenty to forty year question for millennials. They're looking at changing careers, not jobs. Careers every four years. They're looking at changing jobs every 1.2 to 2.4 years. And you're spending, as you said, Chris, between 1.5 and two times your investment on training them. So there's no ROI. There's no succession of skills if they leave you within that period of time. So you want to keep them for an entire career, which is four years. Then they can create succession. They can pass on the success DNA that you've trained them in to the next generation of workers. It's incredibly valuable and extremely expensive if you don't create fierce loyalty. And as I said, on top of that, you want them to become evangelical. So they'll go out there and tell other people, this is a great place to work. You've got to come work here. I was, I was chatting to somebody who's worked in Silicon Valley, for, uh, had worked for LinkedIn, and they were sort of saying there that you know, the average time that these kind of young programmers will stay in a company is about nine months because, yep. and, they, and they've got agents who are representing them before they've even got their first job. Uh, in that sort of situation, the only thing you can, you can do to keep them is absolutely create an environment that they love to be in, uh, such that they won't want to go anywhere else. Well, millennials, millennials are not about jobs. This is where we get stuck and we want to label them. They're not, they don't care about jobs. They care about a life, and they understand something that we have never understood and strive towards, which is called this work-life balance. They get it because there is no such thing. So they understand that work is life and life is work. So if I'm going to go to work, it's part of my life and I don't want it to be miserable for nine, ten hours a day. I want to go and have fun and be part of it and my work is a natural flow from that place. Millennials can teach us a lot from that. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was, uh, this week I was working in a, in an organization where I'm coaching five, uh, five senior people in that, in that company. 
And uh, one of them was explaining to me just, you know, how how he'd been so inspired to join that company by the the character of the uh, of his boss. Uh, oh. He was an incredibly, you know, incredibly fascinating individual with, uh, you know, really in that business and, and set it up and grew it from tremendous intentions. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just saw in that moment, you know, the attractiveness of, of you know, a leader with, you know, with some uh, great engaging characteristics Absolutely. to attract in the right sort of talent. Um, oh. I guess those people today, they're kind of, you know, these young people and these millennials are going to be interviewing you, aren't they, to find if you can make them a better person. That's absolutely right. That you know, this is again the part of the, the mistake that we make. We think that we're interviewing them. They're interviewing us. So for instance, you walk in a millennial walks into an office for an interview and, and your receptionist says to them, Would you like a bottle of water? They may turn around and leave. And you go, why the hell would they leave? They would didn't we do something nice? We offered them a bottle of water. No, they care about the environment and you just gave them a plastic bottle. And that, that matters so much to them that they don't want to work for you. And you just lost the potential of having somebody who's spectacular on your team. That's how, that's how attentive they are. It's quite subtle, isn't it? What, what do you think of the, what, for, and, and a leader today who's going to, yeah. and we're talking, um, you know, we're talking here about millennials and attracting those kind of people into business. And, and a yep. leader today, what do you think are the, you know, the characteristics that you've seen in leaders that really do engender this, um, this fierce loyalty that you, you're articulating? You know, it, it, that's a great question because for me, I, I, I've, I've taken a look around and, and we've done a ton of research and, and we get to work with phenomenal companies around the world. And there are, there are many characteristics, but the, the five that really stand out to me is, first of all, is humanity is the first one, meaning that the that the people who are leading in this way are deeply connected to the people they work with. They're genuinely relational, meaning they care about the people they're working with, the people they lead. They care about their opinions. That they 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 care about them as people, and they share themselves as people. That's number one. Um, they secondly, number two, they have a deep level of self knowledge. They're not on this idea. Well, I've made it. I'm at the top, so I don't have to look at myself anymore. They're constantly in this evolution of not just learning, but learning about themselves. And as a result, the third characteristic is they have high EQ. And again, coming back to EQ, huge mistake with emotional intelligence is people think that it's about this set of skills you learn to use on other people. It is, but that's not what it is. Mm. It starts with a deep self-knowledge. And that's why that's a, a powerful characteristic. The fourth characteristic of leaders who generate fierce loyalty in their team is that they're purpose-driven. There are now massive amounts of research that show this. A leader who is purpose-driven generates loyalty. They're very clear about why they're doing what they're doing. They've dug into that why for themselves, and it's, and it's very personal. And as a result of that, the fifth characteristic of these leaders is that they know they're non-negotiables. And this is a thing that I find missing very often when I sit down with a leader and I say, okay, so what is your personal purpose? And they usually give me some rhetoric and we have to dig in and find out what's the truth and it's not usually what they think it is. And then once we've got to that, we go, okay, so what's your non-negotiables here? What is absolutely non-negotiable to you in, in working with a company, in that company itself, in the company's purpose, and in the people that you employ? Because 
you cannot lead from the fence. And this is what great leaders understand. They cannot lead from the fence. They're willing to push people off the fence in either direction. Go away. It's not a fit. Or come on in. But this, this is who we are. This is non-negotiable. If it doesn't fit for you, that's okay. It's not politi particularly politically correct, but it's powerful and it makes all the difference in the world. And when you've got those five characteristics, humanity, connection, genuine relationship, that you've got a deep level of self-knowledge that's generated high EQ, high emotional intelligence, you then know what your purpose is. And because of that, you have very clear non-negotiables. You don't lead from the fence. You're absolutely clear. People are massively drawn to that. That creates that evangelical fiercely loyal team members that will stick with you through thick and thin. With that, with that, so the way you've articulated there, there's likely to be an enormous amount of trust. Uh, if, if, you, if you know what to expect from someone and you know where it's coming from, that it comes from great well, intention. There, no, there is no loyalty without trust. No. That's all there is to it. There's no loyalty without trust. So how do you, how do you build that trust? Well, there are many ways to build that trust not least of all vulnerability, but we can come to that later if you like. But yeah. those characteristics, and the one particularly, the first one, which is humanity, connection, relationship, facilitates the vulnerability. You know, that trust is invariable, like that is a result of those five characteristics. Don't have that, you're not going to get trust. I don't care how much you pay people, because money is not going to create loyalty. And from your experience, I mean, you obviously met huge amounts of leaders in your work. I mean, um, what percentage of leaders do you think actually uh, embody, uh, and don't just talk about it, you know, because it's, it's great having that as an intention, <laughs> it, it manifests across in the behavior. What, what percentage do you think currently are um, engendering fierce loyalty and getting a return on, on loyalty, really? To be honest with you, I know this sounds really harsh, but I would say probably in, uh, as high as 3%. That much? <laughs> <laughs> honestly it's that sad because the, the challenge is if you go through each of those things people say well you know I show my humanity I'm connected but are you deeply relational do you really reveal yourself to your people and do you really care about who they are do you actually know and the answer will come back is yes really okay let's test it because I know we go in and we do this we do these tests and we find out and it's like no I have no idea who my boss is um, do you have deep self knowledge uh, yeah I know I am how do you know well, you know, I've read some books and uh, I did a bit of, I've had some coaching. Yeah, that's not the same. Deep self-knowledge. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses and be really open about them. That's deep self-knowledge. High EQ. Do you actually know what triggers you, how you're triggered, what triggers you and how you trigger others and how to deal with that? Do you know what your personal purpose is? Not just the purpose of your career, but your personal purpose. What gets you out of bed every morning beyond paying the bills? If you don't know that personal purpose, until you find that primary driving force, which is what we talk about, the primary driving force of the individual, which is not something you're going to get from doing um, some little research or doing some little notes. This is a, it's a deep dig. Yeah. When we do that with, with the leaders that we work with, it blows their mind because now they go, oh my God, I'm like laser focused. And as a result of that, then I say to this person, you say, well, you are doing it. Okay, well, are you really leading from the fence or are you leading and pushing people off the fence? Do you know what's non-negotiable? And if I ask that question right now to each of you as you're listening, do you know what's non-negotiable? 
try to look at what is actually non-negotiable because very often what we think is non-negotiable and I say, okay, good. So now you've got somebody who's going to come into your company and he's going to generate 50% more income into the company. Is that still non-negotiable? And you go, well, no, not really because there you go. It's not non-negotiable. You have to find out what is non-negotiable under any circumstance. And you will only know that if you have that high level of personal uh, purpose, deep, finding out what that deep driver is, self-knowledge, deep um, emotional intelligence. Unless you've got those things, you won't know what. So you see how each one feeds into the other. But that creates such fierce loyalty in people. And again, it's all those things extraordinarily rare. And I think I'm being generous when I say 3%. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's – I'm just thinking back to all of the, the, the seminars I do when I talk about – engagement and I, one of the, mm-hmm. the factors I talk about with engagement is that as a you know as a leader you need to understand your own purpose vision and values and have them for yourself as well as to, to really appreciate why it's so important in the company um, and when I ask people you know who here understands their purpose in life it's so unusual that anyone ever puts the hand up or he's oh. even done some work to uh, consider it mm-hmm. yeah it's fascinating you know one of the things you know, we'll go into a company and I'll say, okay, we did this with a company, actually, global, global leadership team. We, actually, we flew into the UK. We had a nice castle in, 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 uh, in Newcastle, a beautiful place. And we had all these guys around. And I said, okay. And I'd been working with the CEO. I'm a mentor, so I'd been mentoring him for a little while before we brought, he brought me in to work with the company. And I said to him, I said, Graham, you can't speak. You have to sit there and just hold it in for a while. And I went around each of the team members getting to him last and said, what is the company's mission statement? There's nine of these guys, and you know, including Graham, and you can see the steam coming out of his ears as each person speaks because nobody really knows it. They're all making shit up as they go along. Yeah. They don't really know. And we get to him, and he's furious that they don't know. And I said, why would they? I said, it's rhetoric. It's nonsense. It's your, your personal purpose. The purpose of the organization is not the mission statement. The mission statement is something you came up with. It's a nice uh, thing to put on a wall. It's when we're connected to our own personal purpose and we connect to our purpose to the purpose of the organization. That's when everything changes. That's when everybody believes it. That's when everybody knows it, feels it, eats it, sleeps it, breathes it. It's a, I was, I'm in, in, interested with that, uh, that you know, 3%. I think it's quite fascinating. There's a statistic I find... Uh, you know, very interesting around you know, 35% of people, it was a survey in America, would uh, forgo a major pay rise to see their boss fired. Yes. So I often think people would, would you want, do you want to be, not be a boss who, um, th- you know, 35% of people would uh, forgo a major pay rise to see you stay? Um, mm-hmm. But that 3%, you know, if there's uh, 3% gets fierce loyalty and there's 35% that are, are just so so bad they're putting people off. Um, there's a lot of people in that uh, grey middle ground, isn't there? Well, let's look at the, the, the stats. We've all heard the stats. I'm sure you, you bring them from the stage as I do. You know, the Gallup poll that showed that more than 70% of people are, are disengaged at work yeah. and some of them actively disengaged, meaning they're sabotaging your company. Yep. And we, as leaders, you know, I talk, speak to leaders as you, and I say, okay, so who are these people? Who are these 70%? It's a question people don't bother to ask. And they go, you know, I say, really think about it. Is this, is this people on, on the floor? Is this middle management? Is this management? What is this? Who are these people? And I said, I'll tell you who they are. They're you. 
because if you have 70% engagement, that disengagement, that means 70% of the leadership is disengaged. Yep. You're not really engaged, so why would anybody bother to be engaged with you? Yeah. You're just as responsible as a leader as anybody else, no matter whether they're janitor up, janitor to CEO. You have to be engaged for more than the money. Walk the talk. Mm. Now, yeah, look, that's, that's an interesting point there. What you didn't say when you talked about the characteristics of you know, somebody who engenders great, you know, fierce loyalty, I didn't hear you mention it in any of those five, uh, money. Uh, nope. You know, because so often you speak to people and they think it's all about attract, money is the key factor for attracting uh, individuals. And so I've just got a couple of minutes to break so we can chat about this more after the break. But, uh, you know, why is money not important or less important? Well, money is important, but it's only important to a point. As Dan Pink said, there's a certain point where money stops being relevant and actually productivity goes down, not up. Yeah. So, yes, you have to cover enough of people's finances. You have to make sure you take money off the table by not being a stress for them. Wonderful. Hey, well, that, that sounds like a perfect um, place to have a commercial break right now. And just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris 
at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with a fantastic Dolph Barron, and we're talking about fierce loyalty. And, and Dolph, um, how do you create a culture with fierce loyalty? What's your opinion on that? Uh, the factors that create it are uh, uh, many, but um, just to quickly, uh, four C's that I talk about in the book, which is cooperation and collaboration, contribution and community. So cooperation means, in, let, let's get rid of, like, uh, one of my quotes is that uh, competition is so 10 years ago. Get rid of the idea of competition, find ways to collaborate with others and to cooperate with people inside your organization and outside of your organization so that you can serve better. So cooperation and collaboration, then contribution and community. If you want millennials to stay fiercely loyal with you, you they have to know you're about something more than the bottom line for your company, more than the board members, more than the stockholders that you actually give to the community, whether that's the community of your industry or the local community you live in or globally or whatever it is, that you're actually contributing to that community. So those are the four C's. You have to create a, a, a corporate culture that facilitates autonomy, meaning you know, millennials don't want to work nine to five, and they also don't care about the corner office. Why? Because they have one. It's called Starbucks. They, they, they're happy to work from there. So you actually have to facilitate autonomy and not pretend you're facilitating it. So not bitch, moan, and complain or, or, or make people feel guilty. Facilitate autonomy. Facilitate mastery. Give people the room to grow and become magnificent at something um, and don't expect them to stay in it for life. They, remember, they want to change a lot. They're highly stimulated. Um, on top of that, alignment of personal purpose. You need to find out what is the personal purpose of the people who work for you and find ways to align that to your organization. And the next thing is, as that part of that culture, facilitate entrepreneurship. 70% of millennials want to own their own business, so let them own their own business inside your business. Facilitate entrepreneurship. Let them like, create ways for them to be part of your organization. That's why you're seeing more, uh, more worker-owner situations going on. That is a grand overview of the culture that facilitates then inside of that, you have the leaders we were talking about, which are full Monty leaders who facilitate the characteristics that we spoke about earlier. So once you've got that, then you start really creating this culture that is amazing to work in. It's awesome for us to be around those people. Well, so you mentioned there about uh, full Monty. What's the, you know, what's, what, and you use this full Monty as a brand, I remember it as a, yes. a British film. Uh, exactly. What, what's, uh, where did that come from? And, uh, Came from that film. Did it? it came from that film. It, here's a bunch of guys who should never take their clothes off because yeah. um, it's not a pretty sight. Um, who take all their gear off, and you know when you look at the, if you look at the metaphor of the story, and that's why I love it. Is here's a bunch of guys who are struggling, who decide to become strippers. So they decide to do what others are doing, meaning that they see the Chippendales and they're successful. So they start copying, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. They're not actually getting any further. Nobody comes to see them, and they have to go further. Now think about that as a, as a metaphor for leadership. You step into leadership, you go, okay, well, what do the, great, what do the best leaders do? And you do what they do, and you go, how come it doesn't work for me? Because it's changed. You've got to go further. You've got to get off all your gear. You've got to go full Monty. You've got to strip away all the, the facade of what we've been taught leadership is. We've been taught that leadership is about being um, on that pedestal, being separate from. And in fact, vulnerability is your power. It's the exact opposite of what we've been trained to believe it is. 
Vulnerability is not our weakness, it is our strength. Done correctly, of course. It's not, it's not random just puking out your stuff, but really sharing what matters with people creates that enormous amount of vulnerability, and that is what bonds people to us. A simple example of that, I want you in your mind right now. Think about a person who is an acquaintance and put that person to one side of you in your mind. On the other side, I want you to think of, think of somebody who's a real loyal friend. Now, in, in your mind, make a couple of bullet points as to what's the difference between the two. Now, there's a good chance the first thing I came up with was time. That's what most people say. Well, I've known my friend much, much longer. Well, that's not entirely true, and I'll tell you why. Because you've also met people that you had that instant kinship with that you trusted right away. Hmm. So what is it? When you look at what it is, it's disclosure. The thing that creates that friendship, that, that fierce friendship, that loyalty with a friend is disclosure. They know your shit, you know theirs. You've been willing to stand there with each other, emotionally naked, reveal yourself to them, they reveal themselves to you. And as a result, as a result, there's a great bond. This is incredibly powerful in creating loyalty in your people. Create that bond. I actually have a website that gives you um, an infographic that will walk you right through that process of creating that bond. If you go to fiercelyloyalbook.com, name of my book, and I'm sure that Chris will give you info. But if you go to that, fiercelyloyalbook.com, there's an infographic you can have that will actually walk you through the process of doing that to really bring people in. What wonderful. And if, if I completely, completely agree with that. You know, a lot of, certainly traditionally, I think there was, I found a sense that management and leadership felt that they had to be seen as uh, not vulnerable, vulnerable at all, that they were in control of their lives, in control of their situation. And uh, in, to some respects, it made it quite hard to get to know them. Um, of course. But actually the, you know, the reality today is we, if you want to engender great loyalty um, from people that you have to be you know, prepared to be open and to make people realize who might be looking up to you that actually you've been through the ups and downs and uh, your life has not just all been plain sailing. Because uh, no. people relate to that because we all go through ups and downs, don't we? Of course, that's it. And, and, and how can I relate to somebody who seems to have no faults? You don't get me because there's nothing wrong with you. Your, your life is perfect. But if you've shared with me something that is on, you know, on a par with something that I've done, I can associate to. I go, okay, this guy gets me. This, this lady gets me. This person gets me. That's incredibly valuable. I mean, let's look at a business person we all admire, Richard Branson. Here's, here's Branson's advice to his HR people. When you boil it all down and you got to the top three candidates for the job, Take them down the pub and buy them a couple of drinks and share war stories. You'll find out whether you want to have them work for you or not from that. Mm. Not the resume, the war stories. Yeah, uh, and, and see if they're prepared to share some of theirs, perhaps. Well, that's, that's what he says. Share yours and listen to theirs. Yeah. It's not one way. It's both ways. He encourages people to act, his people to actually share their own vulnerability. It's quite funny. I, w I was once, uh, many years ago, working for a a company I had an international role with lots of people and I was recruiting for a particular role and I asked a, a guy, I said, you know, what are, what are your, you've talked a lot about your strengths, I mean, what are, what are your weaknesses, what are the things that you find least easy to do? And he said, I haven't got any. Uh, I said, you must, have, you, must, you must have something, you know, even, even Barack Obama, sorry, it wasn't Barack Obama then, it was probably Clinton or someone like, like that. You know, even they've got um, 
got weaknesses. What are yours? I said, no, I haven't got any. And I said, oh, that's great. Thanks very much. And he said, Bye-bye. what do you mean? I said, uh, the interview's over. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't work with someone like that. He came in, I thought he had a cocky swagger about him as well. Um, but that interview lasted about 40 minutes, and I thought, no point wasting my time. And here's, and he said, well, when will I hear? I said, you've just heard. <laughs> you already know. Yeah, so you, if you meet somebody like that, somebody who doesn't have that, that, that humanity, who doesn't have that vulnerability, then it, it's a very clear message. This is not a person who's going to listen. This is not a person who's open to learning. This is a person I'm going to have challenges with right away. If that person has said, you know, here's all my strengths, yeah, and I've got weaknesses. See, here's the thing about vulnerability, because I get this question a lot in lots of interviews. They go, isn't vulnerability dangerous? And I said, this is not um, just random puking out your emotional nonsense. This is, so let, let's make it clear. What we're talking about is healthy, vulnerable leadership. And that's very different than whining, moaning, and complaining. I'm definitely not in favor of whining, moaning, and complaining. But healthy, vulnerable leadership is always dovetailed with high levels of accountability. That high levels of accountability to really say, here's what's going on for me and here's what I'm doing. So if that person had sat down with you when you asked, well, what's your weaknesses? And they just said X, Y, and Z, and here's what I'm doing about it. Here's how I work with this. Here's the people I have to support me in being better at that. Here's, the, here's the, the, the trainings that I'm taking to develop that. You're going to go, fabulous. This is a person who wants to learn, wants to grow. This is going to be a great fit. Because if, you, if, you're, if you're aware, you'll be aware that most, you know, that it all, all the people who interview will have their own weaknesses as well. Uh, and the smart ones know what they are. Yeah, and as again, we'll That's come back to deep self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the person, in, as the interviewer, you know, I encourage the HR people I work with, I say, reveal something about you. Why would you? Why would they tell you something about them that's true if you don't go first? Yeah. Lead by example. Walk your own talk. Yeah. Share what your challenge is first. Yeah. In, in your in your book, we've actually only got a few minutes left to 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 the end now. Probably got about three yeah. minutes before we need to wrap up. Um, I'd just be very quickly interested. I just, I just noted in the book, I didn't manage to read it all, but you said there were some really important lessons we can learn from a crab. What are they? Yeah, that's fascinating. I was back, when I lived, of course, before I lived here in North America, I lived in Australia for many years. And while I was there, I remember walking down the beach, and you've all probably seen this, and I saw this, all those, those tiny little crabs running across the beach. You know, and you start having fun chasing them. And I suddenly found this larger crab that was just sort of sitting there. And when I went up to this crab, it didn't move, which was surprising. And, of course, when I got there, there was no crab. It was just the shell. And I, you know, I turned it over, and there's no, there's, it's empty. And I thought, that's fascinating. So in my mind, they were, you know, it had been eaten by seagulls or whatever it was. I didn't know. And just out of matter of interest, I began researching what happens. And what happens is, as I'm sure you're aware, a, a crab is exoskeletal, meaning it has its skeleton on the outside. And when it grows, it becomes so painful for it to be inside of its own shell that it has to eject the shell in order to grow. And it does that by injecting all its fluid inside and then pushing its own shell off. And it has to be totally and absolutely vulnerable for a period of time in order for it to develop a new shell on the outside of its flesh. This is a powerful lesson for each of us. Your discomfort is simply a call for you to grow, and your growth demands vulnerability. 
Your discomfort is a call for you to grow. But in order for you to grow, you have to have, be without the shell. You have to step into the vulnerability where you can get eaten alive. But once you do that, as with a crab, a crab grows 30% more each time it does that. It creates room to grow. But it's not done once. It's a cycle that repeats many, many times throughout its life. And that's what we all have to learn. If we don't grow through our discomfort, if we don't step into that vulnerability, we will never become as great as we're capable of being and be the kind of leaders that we dream about being. You need a system for doing that. Have that system in place and everything changes. Oh, that's, a, that's an incredibly powerful metaphor, I think, to... Uh to really end this interview, but I just um, just in a, a sort of a minute before we go, you know, thinking about that those vulnerable stages that you've been through your life, and when you uh, maybe set up your first business, I know you moved across and live in Vancouver now, but in looking back on when you from when you first set up your your business, um, what's what are the key fundamental um, or, or message, or maybe a couple of points that you've that you'd wish you'd known about all that time ago. The number one thing is, um, I did learn it, <laughs> let me rephrase that, I did hear it, but I did not learn it for many, many years, and that is, surround yourself with a team who share your purpose. Yeah. That was the number one thing. Surround yourself with a team who share your purpose, and then trust them. Trust them. That was the number one thing over anything else, that's it. Uh, brilliant. Dov, it's been... An absolute pleasure talking to you. I think this is an interview that I will be listening to again and repeating again um, on this show. And I hope you'll become a guest again at some point because uh, you know, really have shared some incredible wisdom and you've learned some tremendous lessons on your journey. Um, so just want to say a huge thank you, mate. Thank you, my friend. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I want to thank each of the people who tuned in. Thank you for taking the time and giving us your attention because that's even more valuable than your time. And if you found Thanks. this, if you found what Dov's had to say valuable today, you know, give the gift to somebody else and share this. Um, I just, I just also like to just say, if you want to find out more about Dov Barron, go to fullmontyradio.com for his radio no, show. Full Monty Leadership. Oh, sorry, Full Monty Leadership. Okay. Yeah. Fullmontyleadership.com. Um, find out more about me, or you can find out about my book at fiercelyloyalbook.com. Excellent. It's a great book to buy, and so do do that. Do go and get that book and uh, and study uh, Dov Barron. I just also like to say it's it's Christmas Day next week, so we're going to repeat a, a favourite show. If you um if you feel like if you're somebody who has turkey on Christmas Day, but you feel like getting away from the family, then I'll, I'll put on a great show for you <laughs> next week and repeat it. The following week, I'm actually being interviewed myself because I'm so excited. 31st of December, the power to get things done, whether you feel like it or not, is is going to be available um, in the US. I think the Far East. Um, I'm so thrilled to have written this book, and it's a great book to actually um, learn about and think about your intentions for the year and to ensure that they happen. So I'm going to be interviewed on the 1st of January about that. You can buy um, the book at uh, Amazon.com and, and places like that as well. Um, but love to hear what you think about it. Once again, an enormous thank you to Dov Barron, and I wish everybody a tremendous uh, Christmas break if you uh, if you listen to this live um, and New Year. And uh, I'll speak to you all again very soon. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.